Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 395. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and I'm really excited to bring you this week's episode. I was so happy and fortunate to interview for the second time Dr. Ariel Schwartz. I'm such a huge fan of her work and very grateful that she agreed to come back on the show. Ariel Schwartz, PhD, is a psychologist, internationally sought-out teacher, yoga instructor, and leading voice in the healing of PTSD and complex trauma. She's the author of many books, including the Complex PTSD Workbook, EMDR Therapy and Somatic Psychology, the Post-Traumatic Growth Guidebook, Therapeutic Yoga for Trauma Recovery, and her newest offering, which is the Therapeutic Yoga for Trauma Recovery Flip Chart. So it's a resource that's kind of an add-on to that book. Dr. Schwartz is an accomplished teacher who guides therapists in the application of EMDR, somatic psychology, parts work therapy, and mindfulness-based interventions for the treatment of trauma and complex PTSD using applied polyvagal theory. 
and she has a depth of understanding, passion, kindness, compassion, joy, presence, and a succinct way of speaking about very complex topics. She's the founder of the Center for Resilience-Informed Therapy in Boulder, Colorado, where she maintains a private practice providing psychotherapy, supervision, and consultation. With over 20 years as a therapeutic yoga teacher, Dr. Schwartz believes that the journey of trauma recovery is an awakening of the spiritual heart. And this conversation is for everyone. Anyone who is interested in somatic embodiment, applied polyvagal theory, how trauma and attachment injuries affect our bodies and our abilities to move, breathe, express, set boundaries, which is what we're really going to be talking about today. How I've learned from her about embodiment and how Applied polyvagal theory can help us to, as she says, be present to the pain of our traumatic experiences and attachment injuries without being swallowed by them. How we contract and pull up when our boundaries have been violated and how that interferes with our ability to set boundaries later in life. She talks about the developmental cycle how that relates to our breath, movement, expression, and ability to set and hold boundaries. We talked about pelvic floor physical therapy. She's not a pelvic floor physical therapist, but I was talking about my experience, and she explained how this relates to our ability to know what we want and need and express our boundaries and how we can grip and this restricts our breath. She explains all of this in depth in a very relatable and understandable way, in my opinion. So I told Ariel that I would share this in the introduction to the episode because I didn't talk about it during our interview and I had mentioned it before we started recording. So I told her I would add this in. I wanted to tell you all about something that happened when I was in Mexico for the training that we referenced her training that I attended in Mexico earlier this year. I talked about how the state I was in when I showed up and I didn't talk about what happened afterwards, but basically I got to the training and I was overwhelmed, stressed. It was a struggle to leave home because of things that were happening within our family that were worrisome. And I went And I was hoping that I would be able to focus on what we were there to learn. Not only did I focus on learning, but I had a very transformative experience. And I talked about that a little bit in the episode. But I walked in feeling pressured, pushed, pulled, stressed out, overwhelmed. And I left feeling empowered, connected, embodied. I talked about it in the first episode I did after I came back. Just it was unbelievable to me how much different I felt when I left. But the experience that happened that was after the training. So I went to the airport in Cancun. I don't speak Spanish and the resort where we stayed Most people were speaking English, which made it very easy for me to be able to get my needs met there. But when I went to the airport, not speaking Spanish and being unfamiliar with the ways that 
the process works at the airports in Mexico. Additionally, when I was leaving, it was like the beginning of spring break time. So the airport was super, super busy. And I walked in, I didn't see any signs. There were hundreds and hundreds of people everywhere. So I didn't know where I was supposed to go, what I was supposed to do, how things work. I felt pretty vulnerable. And I thought to myself, based on other experiences of international travel, to kind of watch out for anybody who might try to take advantage of my lack of familiarity by wanting to do anything from con me out of money to steal my stuff to who knows. <laughs> when you kind of feel like you might be taken advantage of in some way, you really don't know what way that could turn out to be. And especially when you've had past experiences of victimization, your nervous system goes to danger, basically. So that's a space I was in. I was feeling very vulnerable and hypervigilant to potential danger. In this experience, a man came up to me, kind of confidently walked up to me wearing a, a uniform shirt of some kind that made it appear as if he worked there at the airport. He asked me which airline I was with, guided me over to uh, an area of kiosks, which it was so crowded I didn't even see that there were kiosks there until we were in the midst of it. Asked me to hand him my passport, and I did. Don't do this. Number one, don't just hand somebody your passport when you don't know for sure who they are, especially when you're trying to leave a country on a plane. <laughs> you need that. But I handed over my passport, and my, my cognitive mind was slowly, slowly processing. Does this man work here? How do I know he is not going to try to rob me or steal from me. And recognizing my own vulnerability, I didn't have anybody with me who was familiar with how things worked. And I was, I was traveling alone. So I didn't even have another fellow traveler to help me figure out what to do. So as I was slowly having these thoughts in my cognitive brain about this might be a scam, he might be trying to trick me and make me think he works here so he can get me to give him a tip. I don't really know, but everything was happening very fast. And as my cognitive mind was slowly trying to grapple with what was going on, I noticed, and I was really having these kind of slowed down thoughts, which can be a real clue that you're having a trauma reaction. So I was having these slowed down thoughts and my, my mind was slowly saying, hmm, he has my passport and my boarding pass and my suitcase in his hands, and I'm not holding anything. Wait a second. Hmm. This probably isn't good. And all of a sudden, it was like my body woke up, even though my cognitive brain was slowly just trying to get oriented and figure out what was happening. My body woke up. I feel like my pelvic floor woke up and said, wait a second. No. And it's just like what we talked about in this interview. It came online. My no came to my awareness from my body, not from my cognitive brain. My cognitive brain was still trying to figure out what was happening. But my body made me say, excuse me, I'm not comfortable with you holding my passport. So I'm telling you the words I said, because it wasn't just that I screamed, help or stop, no, or anything like that. 
I was still in my grounded me. I was in my way of communicating that is not aggressive towards other people, but I was being assertive and confident. Even though I didn't have any kind of emotional connection at the time, I was just, I was having a reaction. But I said, excuse me, I'm not comfortable with you holding my passport. I need you to hand that to me. And he handed it right to me. And then as my mind was still slowly trying to understand what was happening, I found myself, I heard myself say, I need you to hand me my boarding pass too. And he handed me the boarding pass. And then I said, I need my suitcase. And he handed me my suitcase. And then I said, do you work here at the airport? What's happening? And he stared at me. And then he just turned and walked away and totally disappeared into the crowd. Turned out, I went through the line and talked to the person at the security who told me that, no, the person didn't work there. And he was scamming me, pretending to work there, getting my boarding pass from the kiosk in exchange for me going to the ATM and giving him like $20 which would be the minimum you can get out of the ATM. And I was not going to do that, but without any consent. So did the man really have intentions to harm me per se? He might've been trying to get me to give him some money. He was trying to con me in a way or scam me, but he wasn't necessarily planning on doing anything violent to me. But then again, I don't know. The bottom line is because I was integrated, my body was online, even though my mind didn't know what was happening because I was disoriented and in an unfamiliar, vulnerable situation, my body just took the lead and guided me to protect myself, but not in a way that made me unsafe towards anyone else too. And that's an important part because protection doesn't always mean fighting. It can just mean standing up for yourself, speaking your truth, saying no. And of course, it's not always true that if you say no, that whoever's doing what they're doing will stop. But I just felt like this was such a powerful example of how I walked into this training in one nervous system state and I left in a completely different one. I felt clear about my boundaries. I felt like I know what's okay with me and what's not. And it wasn't cognitive. So this is what it feels like to be in an embodied state when you're expressing your boundaries. And I think that was the first time I've ever felt that, to be honest. But now I can access it because I've experienced it. I know what it feels like and I can get back to it. So if you've ever had any trouble setting boundaries, you're really going to want to listen to what we're talking about in this conversation. It was really fascinating to me, and I hope you'll enjoy it too. Okay, so before we get into it, I've got a few things to share with you I don't want you to miss. One is that if you've heard about the Master Series conference in Oxford, United Kingdom. They have generously partnered with me to give you a discount on their virtual ticket. This event starts August 31st and it's in Oxford, United Kingdom. I'm going to be there in person, but if you want to, of course, you're welcome to sign up in person. I would love to see you there, but also if you would like to get the virtual ticket you can get it for 20% off by using code therapychat20. There's a link in the show notes. It's a bit.ly link, bit.ly slash therapychatmasterseries, but it's in the show notes too. You don't have to memorize that. 
And I hope you will, if you were thinking about going to this wonderful event, I hope you will take advantage of the opportunity to save 20% when you use code TherapyChat20. Also, one of the wonderful speakers who will be at this event is Dr. Jamie Marich. And in addition to the discount for the, the Master Series event in Oxford, I also have a link in the show notes for you to join Jamie's course on dissociation through Academy of Therapy Wisdom, which is so awesome. I'm so appreciative for everything that Jamie is doing to teach therapists to work effectively with dissociation that comes up in therapy because it does. It always comes up when people have experienced trauma or attachment injuries. We don't often know how to identify it or treat it, and Jamie's changing that. So definitely check that out. Also, my friend, Dr. Elizabeth Guthrie has a training on connecting with your plant allies, and there's a link to that in the show notes. Both Jamie and Elizabeth have free webinars that you can watch. So even if you don't want to sign up for their course, you can get the links to the free webinars in the show notes. Also want to be sure you know that if you're a therapist who could use some support in working with your trauma clients, Trauma Therapist Network membership is reopening in September. And there's a link in the show notes to join the waiting list for that. If you join the waiting list, you will get early access and a special offer. So you can check that out. All right, let's get into my conversation with Dr. Ariel Schwartz. You will learn so much. Can't wait for you to hear this. And as always, thank you for listening to Therapy Chat. I really appreciate you. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very honored and appreciative to be speaking with someone who I really admire and a previous Therapy Chat guest, Dr. Ariel Schwartz. Ariel, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. Laura, it's great to be with you again. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's great to be with you. And I'm very excited to talk with you about something that I was interested in before, but when I went to Mexico this past winter and attended your training, it really opened up a new understanding of what to me somatic embodiment now means. And I really want to share this with our audience. So, but before we get into it, can we just start off by you telling everybody a little bit more about who you are and what you do? My name is Ariel Schwartz. I live in Boulder, Colorado in the USA. I I initially moved out here to study somatic psychology in 1996 when I was 23 years old. And I have been engaging the body as part of psychotherapy ever since. And I integrate somatic therapies with other trauma treatment modalities, namely EMDR therapy and parts work therapies and therapeutic yoga for trauma as a kind of resilience-informed model for trauma care. And what I mean by that is that sometimes when we're looking at attending to trauma, we're just honing in on the event, the 
the target, the disturbance, and that the resilience-informed approach is very much strength-based and broadening that lens and identifying resources and, and internal strengths within the individual that have helped you survive and get to this point on your journey. So it's this integrative mind-body approach to trauma treatment. Yes, and, and beautiful what you do and how you do it and who you are. You know, how embodied you are is so evident, even as I follow like your social media and the things you post and the way you take photos of nature and you pair it with a poem that someone wrote or you wrote. And I'm like, how does she do this day in and day out? And to me, it's because you are living that way. It's not something you're doing for show. It's the way you're living. And I'm grateful to have benefited from that in, you know, in person being with you in training. And one of the things that you talked about that really resonated with me in the training, and I think for the first time it landed a different way, was the idea that one that our bodies are and and sort of everything is like orienting towards health and healing, you know. So what you're talking about with the resilience informed approach is it's not just about digging and excavating to pull out the pain. It's something different. Can you say a little bit about that? Yes. When we are building our readiness to turn towards the challenge or the difficulty that we carry, we want to also know that we have a felt sense of enough safety now, enough sense of ease, enough sense of connection, enough sense of access to a positive mindset, a growth mindset, if you want to think about it that way. Otherwise, when we turn towards the traumatic material, it becomes all that we can see, sense, and feel. And so when we're looking at successful trauma treatment, we often talk about this as cultivating dual attention or dual awareness state, which means that I can cultivate and sustain enough of that sense of safety or connection to resource so that when I turn towards the trauma-related material, whether it's a memory or a felt sense in the body or a recent event that triggered someone, right? When we turn towards that, we're not using the, the experience of that here-now sense of safety. We're not falling kind of two feet into the past or two feet into the pain. We've got one foot really firmly grounded right here, and we might just dip a toe in over here into the mm. disturbance or the pain. And there's a lot of strategies that we might use to cultivate or build that resource state. Some of them, you know, for me, when I trained in EMDR therapy back in 2001, we learn about cultivating visualization strategies like a safe place imagery or, or pulling in images of people or animals or spiritual presences, those allies that help us cultivate a sense of safety. And the visualization strategies are great. But if we're not also accessing a felt sense of safety and pulling this in in a more integrative kind of bottom up experience in the here and now, the visualization, I don't think, takes as much hold or has as much power. So for me, as a body centered psychotherapist, I love to engage body centered tools to access a sense of compassion or creativity or confidence, empowerment presence. And as you said, you know, in, in terms of just referencing, you know, what I what I post on social media, these aren't just strategies that we are handing to our clients. They're not just a set of interventions. 
This is a lifestyle and it's just as much for clinicians as it is for clients. We are walking the talk. How are you taking care of yourself each and every day? Really thinking about, you know, kind of cultivating that nervous system regulation and that that sense of presence that you then can bring to and offer to others. If you're a therapist, you might offer it to your clients, if you're a parent, to your children, or you know, if you're in relationship to, you know, to your partner, so that we can bring that that positive influence out there. It doesn't mean that we're going to bypass pain. It means that we now have the capacity to be present with suffering without feeling like we'll be swallowed by the suffering. Yes, yes. And I know when I went into that training in Mexico, I I probably told you this at the time, but that I had a a family member at home who was actually in the hospital and I felt like I wasn't even sure, can I do this? Should I even be leaving? And to to arrive in that state and feeling so pressured and stressed and almost like wishing I wasn't doing when I first got there, I was like, I wish I didn't have to do this. I mean, being in Mexico in this beautiful space and I'm feeling like I wish I didn't have to do this, even though I really wanted to learn from you. And then within about 24 to 36 hours, I was feeling a complete 180, just like grateful and safe and resourced, internally resourced. And just like to be able to shift that completely, that quickly, I felt like this is really For one, again, I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal, but just how embodied you are as you're teaching, that creates the sense of safety in the space that everybody's nervous system can settle down and receive the information. And we were doing all these somatic practices experientially as we were learning. And as you know, I I know a lot of these practices (laughs) You know, I've had a lot of the training, so a lot of it wasn't brand new information for me, but it was still just the way you put things together in such a short, we were only meeting for about three and a half hours per day, I believe. So in the short time that we were spending in doing these practices, it it really turned things around for my nervous system dramatically. So I'm a believer. (laughs) beautiful it's very touching to hear and you're speaking we're we're using the language of nervous system but I think that you know in many ways when we incorporate the applied polyvagal theory into the work and into trauma treatment it's a game changer it certainly has been for my work and you know for anyone listening that may be new to that concept what we're working with is is the recognition of what is the nervous system state that you're in and then how do you really attend to or respond effectively to that nervous system state so that you can compassionately care for whatever is present for you in the room. I, you know, and by nervous system states, you know, we recognize that sometimes we're keyed up in the sympathetic fight, flight, freeze, where we feel anxious or panicky or overwhelmed irritable, restless, maybe we're not sleeping, we're not digesting. And by, you know, on the, on the flip side, sometimes we feel collapsed, fatigued, shut down. And in that case, we're in a more evolutionarily older expression of the parasympathetic state. And 
you know, we feel more hopeless, more helpless to change our circumstances. And there's nothing wrong with those nervous system states. You are not failing the nervous system test. (laughs) What we want to do is know the state of your nervous system. So then you can attend to the state of your nervous system and and maybe you upregulate a little bit. Maybe you find more mobilization, more empowerment. Maybe you learn to downregulate some and soften the breath and slow it down and feel the support of the seat that holds you. In one way or another, we get to be now in partnership with our nervous system by listening, by hearing the message that it holds for us. And then just like a parent with a child who maybe is going, oh, you're hungry now, or you need more stimulation, or you need to be protected and less stimulation, you need to rest, we're going to attend to ourselves in just that same way. Yeah. Well, and I know it, it isn't failing when you feel the way I felt when I showed up, but it didn't feel good at all. Yeah. <laughs> and so even though, you know, it was okay for me to be in that state, the feeling that I had when I, once we were doing these practices was relational, you know, instead of feeling like I have to do this, it was like, I want to talk with the other people around me. I want to get to know about them instead of seeing it as like overstimulating and, you know, too much for my system. And I, I think that what you're talking about, what you talked about with the sort of like hypoarousal dorsal vagal state was where I was when I got there. And so it made me curious and would like to talk with you about here how, and you've been teaching about this or you were teaching when we were there, about how when our traumatic experiences include being intruded upon or not being able to say no or your no was, you know, disregarded or whatever it was, how our body reacts to that. It's not just like how we feel or our thoughts. Our body has a reaction to that. And then that carries over into how well we're able to really express our no or yes after that. Yeah. You're really describing what may be one of the core elements of trauma, which is the way that we use the past to organize the information that's happening in the present and predict the future. And so if there were times in the past, just going with the example you just shared in which my no, either I wasn't able to say it or when I did say it, it was not heard and it was overridden, then what we might carry with us is the sense of what's the point of even trying, right? Why should I try and set a boundary? No one's going to respect it anyway. That once was true. It doesn't have to be the case anymore. And when we can have a felt experience now that's different, that's contrary to that, that gives us a new relational experience, then we stand inside of this this new orientation. Well, I have to in some way kind of update what I believe about myself in the world because I just had an experience that contradicted all of those expectations. And I feel like that's why we need to work experientially in the here and now to get that felt sense that now can be different from then. I love that you started out naming that the shift for you happened when you felt relationship, 
the relational connection, that the experience of feeling like we belong and that there's safety in belonging. And of course, safety and belonging has kind of two sides. One is that I get to be connected and I get to be separate. I get to have a separate self. I get to say no, or this is how much contact I'm willing to have. And to know that that's going to be respected in that space. You probably remember the exercise we did even of partnering with another person and walking, you know, exploring that proximity, walking together, walking further apart and letting your body give you feedback about how much relational contact I am ready for at any given moment with any given person. And that in that relational experience, that it is okay to say no and to work within a frame where it's built into the exercise that the other person will respect that. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful to get that felt sense of the boundary. And it's, you know, it's not just here, as you're saying, it's here, it's in the body. We can experience what it feels like to stand up and to, to, you know, own, take ownership of your own physical and energetic space that you take up, that's your domain. And to have these experiences now where you get to decide who gets to come into that domain, who gets Who's allowed in? And of course, a boundary isn't about keeping everybody out. It's actually the safety that then allows us to let someone in when it's right, in right timing, in in readiness for that degree of intimacy. Or as you said, I really wanted to know other people and what brought them here. It opened up that side of the continuum. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting that you brought that example up it was I have done that before and with the partner I did it with they had not done it before and we noticed how and I think this is like very instructive how when you you say oh I want to be this close and you want like to be this close to the person I think I want to be this close and the other person's going like that feels like really close (laughs) but I'm it's okay I'm holding space here because you're the one who's walking (laughs) but then they go when they're there and they check in with themselves and go, actually, I think maybe a step back would be better. And they do a step back and they go, oh, one more step back and take two steps. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that feels so different in my system. You know, it's like you can feel this like flow of energy that's like when it, the channels are open. I don't know. <laughs> yes. For me, when I find that sweet spot of just the right amount of of closeness and separateness, there's a way in which I actually can locate and feel my own body in space. Yeah. I know where I exist. I actually have the space enough to feel me so that I can be in relationship to you. And that's exquisite right there. Yeah. And that's something I think where the early, early experiences play such a a role. You know, one of the things that you also talked about there, so many things that you were teaching was the, I guess it's like the developmental attachment cycle. Will you say a little bit about that? Yes, I think <laughs> I think what you're referring to is it comes out of body-mind centering and the evolution of body-mind psychotherapy, the work of Susan Hoshin, and, and this recognition that when an, an infant is, or a very, very young child, 
is comes into the world that the first kind of developmental layer of being is really about being able to exist. It's this ability to yield into your own body and have a safe enough environment to yield into gravity. You know, if we look at the origin of somatic psychotherapy, so much of where we can struggle and in the development of our sense of self is when we don't feel safe, whether that's big T trauma or the accumulation of of lots of little attachment wounds and injuries in an unsafe environment, even an unsafe womb. And we contract or withdraw from the world in that experience of unsafety. We we contract and withdraw from gravity. We pull up. We, in many ways, pull all the way up so that we exist maybe just up in here. And it's a way to not feel what the body knows, which is that the senses are giving me feedback that, I, that it's not safe out there. If we can't yield or rest into gravity, then it, then it actually, that's the foundation for our, our additional developmental steps, right? When, it, when a baby yields into gravity, is able to rest into the floor, right? And then they push into the floor to get curious about the world, right? It's what that push, and we also see it developmentally, right? I want closeness. I want intimacy. I want, I, I need proximity for bonding and nursing. And, and I want that closeness with, with the caregiver, and then there's a point developmentally where we're like, no, 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 right? I, I'm expressing my own will. I'm expressing my separateness. And we need that push in order to define that boundary of self. And that push helps us be differentiated. Okay, now I've got a separate self. And from that separate self, I can negotiate back into connection and separateness. And that's a, a powerful negotiation with the world that push into gravity that then lets us ultimately come all the way up to standing, lets us reach for connection. But if we don't have that firmly established connection to the earth and push into the earth, when I reach into connection, I can lose myself into connection. I collapse into connection. So ultimately, we need the push to affirm that I can have a self. So now I can reach for more upright connection, right? Relational connection without losing me. And so even in your own body to feel what happens in the collapse, what happens when we're not yielding into gravity, but we're collapsing, that it doesn't feel safe or we're resisting gravity, we're pulling away from it, we're, we're not connecting to the body. Either of those restrict our life force energy. They restrict the flow of your breath and and that that kind of overall connection of your ability to move freely, to express yourself freely, we restrict it. And we restrict it once again as a way to not have to feel. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is, if you do need help, 
You can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience. And one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Well, I that resonates with me just very deeply. And I think before I came to this training, I didn't know how I didn't know how much I was like really pulled up. I had already been doing pelvic floor physical therapy almost for a year at the time when I was there. And for me, that really unlocked a lot of, you know, from I'm doing this because it's like from inside of me like this. I don't like this. I don't want that. I'm not going to do that anymore. Things where I would be like, well, I have to because I said I would or the person's expecting me to, you know, this feeling of like the lack of agency within myself and sort of being mixed up about like compassion, you know, oh, well, it's mean if I don't just do what the other person wants, even though the other person's want may not really align with what I want, you know. It's so interesting when you speak about the pelvic floor and and, and in my work as a therapeutic yoga teacher, what we often think about with the breath is that the breath actually extends yeah, our lungs are here, but our breath actually extends chronically all throughout your body. And we can breathe in a way that expands the diaphragm, that softens the abdomen, and that actually extends all the way down to your tailbone and your pelvic floor. So we can actually breathe in a way that that enhances that felt sense of connection all throughout your body. But so often when we've experienced trauma, we grip. And the common places that we grip, of course, are the pelvic floor and our tailbone, right? That sense of survival. Is it safe for me to exist? We grip around the, the muscles that, that are around our abdomen, restricting the movement of the belly and the, and the digestive organs. We restrict around our diaphragm that's limiting the movement of our breath and our lungs, which is, of course, creating more tightness around our heart limiting how much we are literally able to feel. And we were strict in our throat 
which restricts our self-expression, our voice, even that ability to express the boundary when we need to set it or to ask for what we want, right? Seek connection or to say, no, that's not for me. And, you know, and of course our jaw and around our, you know, around our forehead, we have all these areas where we can kind of hold that tension. But when we study fascia, the areas of tightness in one area of the body, of course, are, are corresponding to areas of tightness and tension in other areas of the body. And that's very true of the pelvic floor, that when we're gripping there, we're often gripping around other areas, our hips, our belly, diaphragm, our breath gets restricted, our throat's restricted, right? And it can feel initially, like you, you said that, that ultimately the releasing of that and the access to that gave you more sense of your own voice and empowerment. But initially, the process of expanding awareness and softening the breath and expanding the breath into these areas of the body can often feel very scary, can feel very threatening. Because as we know, the body keeps the score or bears the burden. It, it, it holds access to the memory of the times which maybe our boundaries weren't respected or to the traumatic wounds or the abuse or even the neglect that we may have experienced. Mm-hmm. Very, 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 very true. So as you're talking about this and when you were talking about like the push and I felt like I was almost watching one of your polyvagal <laughs> yoga <laughs> videos because, you know, that's that's what you're guiding through in those beautiful practices that you share. So I just want to take a moment to say how much I really appreciate all of the things that you do and put out there. I know that you, I can know, I can know and sense that you do what you do out of a deep care for trauma survivors. And it's really felt and appreciated. Thank you. I, I so appreciate your ability to just share from the heart and speak from the heart like that. And your depth of appreciation really touches me. <laughs> I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but I'm just like, I have to say it. <laughs> no, it's really, it's really touching. And, you know, when, when our world changed in 2020 and I took my therapeutic yoga class online, it has just profoundly opened something up for me as well. I look forward to those classes. And we have students that attend still now. It's still on online. And, and of course, you and, and everyone else are welcome to join us. We often have between 60 and 150 students at any given live class. And we are moving and breathing and empowering ourselves and using our voice and and taking up space and experiencing what it kind of feels like just to contract and get really small and and to know that whole range. And we do that together. The polyvagal informed lens in it is is multifold in the sense of its relational connection and a sense of belonging and safety. It is tracking the state of your nervous system and and attuning and upregulating or downregulating, which on the yoga mat is really about how much of a mobilization or active practice do you want in this moment? How much do you need to go towards rest and surrender to gravity? Can you differentiate between rest and collapse? Can you really fine tune what yes feels like, what no feels like? And then, you know, from there, we work with breath work and we're able to actually use the breath to bring in more balance to the nervous system. 
balance sometimes means really working with just finding that equanimity between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So we're not stuck in rev and go and we're not stuck in collapse and shut down. And and then we, you know, have these opportunities to do mindful mobilization, right, to experience empowerment and and embrace that higher energy capacity that we are all born for, right? Like it can be fun and playful. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Stephen Porges that certainly informs this model is the first time I learned from him, which must have been, I don't know, 15 years ago, that if we didn't have our sympathetic nervous system, we wouldn't have play. It was like, oh, wait a second, sympathetic nervous system isn't just about fight and flight, that we have this ability to embrace that mobilizing system for the purpose of play and excitement and climbing a mountain and dancing and doing a, a, a energizing yoga practice and how important it is to build our capacity to embrace sympathetic activation in a purposeful and positive way that might also be practicing saying no or stay away or or exploring how it feels to say yes this is what i want right finding all of that range of that of that action right we can shake something out we can push through the arms and we can reach for what we want and in that same vein we also want to embrace mindful immobilization where we're uncoupling or unhooking restful states from trauma. Mm. Because too often that feeling of if I go into stillness, that stillness brings back times in which I felt disempowered or hopeless or helpless or passive or nothing I did was going to make a difference. It carries despair or collapse or an urge to hide. And yet if we don't have access to that that healthy or that that reclaimed immobilization into stillness, it limits our range of really attending to the inner spiritual connection that resides inside of each and every one of us, where we can soften and and rest into stillness as a a, a nourishing place, as a deeply healing place. That's our rest and digest. And it's also our spiritual connection. Yeah, there's something you said in that. There's something in what you said that I can't quite put my finger on, but I'll just sort of clumsily try to name what it's something about the more nuanced, not all or nothing kind of way that, you know, these different states to see the value in all of the states I know that we we both know that trauma reactions are adaptive and there's no shame in having a trauma reaction. And though, and there's something in what you're saying about how, I guess it was when you said that the play comes from the sympathetic activation is like nothing is just one thing, I guess is what is really standing out there for me. Yes, yes, it's so true. And I think that the more that we can embrace the kind of both and of of ourselves and the paradoxes that we carry within us, that we can hold that there's tremendous pain and potential and possibilities and beauty, and that we can really sense and feel our, our capacity as 
I'll borrow from Joseph Campbell for a moment, but to really kind of walk in two worlds at the same time. That's that's how he describes the return of the hero's journey, is that we know our relationship to suffering. We know our pain. We've been willing to turn toward it and yet not be defined by it. And that when we walk in two worlds that we can relate so profoundly compassionately to the pain or the suffering, both within ourselves and within others and in the world at large, and also not not feel like that's all that we see, that it becomes overwhelming, that we can't handle it. We actually have a tremendous capacity to be of service in relationship to that pain. Yes, yes. And it, it brings to mind what you also taught about like the pendulation that, you know, that it's like there's not supposed to be a stopping place. It's supposed to be a rhythm, you know, what our, our systems are doing. And the you talked about the expansion and contraction of the universe. There was a word for it. I can't remember what there it is. There is a word for it. <laughs> the word is spanda. And it's a Sanskrit word. And it really speaks to how everything from every cell in your being, in your body, to the flowers that open up to the sun and that close and the fern that unfurls and the ocean waves and the universe itself, that everything has this expansive and contractive quality to it. And that trauma can lead us to get stuck in the extremes. We get stuck in the expansion, kind of like that, right, of the, even the, that kind of startle reflex right? And we get stuck out here, even energetically, our our energy gets stuck way out there, expanded, or we get stuck in contraction and and in hiding and in withdrawal. And that neither of those are wrong. And we're not meant to live in the extremes. We're, we're really meant to actually be able to, as you say, kind of flow between these states. And they they mirror our nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system mobilizes our awareness and attention out to the world. It's, it, it expands us. It prepares us to interact with the world in some way or another, playfully or protectively. And our parasympathetic nervous system is an inherent withdrawal back into the cell. And it lets us return and connect inward, either protectively, right, a way to shut out the world, or in a way that lets us feel more deeply connected to self as a source of wisdom, to the quietness that resides, to the restful states that we all deserve. And of course, you know, we see the same rhythm in our circadian rhythm. We even see it in our digestive rhythm. Our bodies are rhythmic. And so it's often when I'm referring to this idea of kind of returning to your true nature, which is what yoga invites you to do, it's about returning to those rhythms so that we don't feel so stuck. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that and entertaining my deluge of questions. And I know we don't have very much time left, but I wanted to see if you can tell people about how, because you have a new offering and I know it's kind of like a add-on to something that you've created before. I'd love for you to tell about how our listeners can use these resources to implement what we're talking about in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So 
the new resource, I'll start there and I have it here to just to hold up for a moment. The new resource is the Therapeutic Yoga for Trauma flip chart. And as with all of my offerings, it's a psychoeducational tool for embodied healing through the lens of applied polyvagal theory. So the purpose of this book is that it does accompany the Therapeutic Yoga for Trauma book, which which I have out there. Oh, thank you for having it there. <laughs> Looks like this. <laughs> Beautiful. They have very similar copies. Yes, thank you. The difference is that one opens like a book and this one opens like a flip chart. <laughs> and of course, that explains the model. And what this one does is it is it's a very tangible tool, either for therapists or for yoga teachers or just for you for yourself to say, ah, there is this practice. How do I do that practice? Or how do I get to know my nervous system states? What are the, the different nervous system states and how do I recognize what is the predominant nervous system state that I'm in or defense st style that I'm in? How might trauma be impacting my body? And it, and it, you know, kind of guides you to identify these for yourselves. It speaks about the vagus nerve and education about that. It goes into the tiered response to threat and again, recognizing those nervous system states. But maybe and most importantly, the other piece that, that is offered in this book are the practices. And those practices are then, you know, kind of named on the front side of the page and, and, and with, you know, beautiful photographs that let you know, you know, for example, if I want to do yeah. nostril pranayama, what that might look like. On the back side of the flip chart, are the instructions. And okay. so if you are a therapist wanting to teach your client how to do this breath practice, here's the script. And again, I invite you always to adapt them and, and make them most relevant to yourself and your clients. But it, it guides the instructions for each of the practices that you find on the front. So some of them, for example, self-applied touch, or I'm going to skip around in here, different breath practices that you might find or movement practices that you might find. And then, of course, on the back are the instructions for each and every one. So all of these practices are also found in the Therapeutic Yoga for Trauma book with, with very, and, and as y'all know, I'm pretty wordy. I love, to, I love to write. I love to speak. I love to engage kind of like a poetic language about the why we might engage these. So all of that language you find in the book and this is just a really practical, tangible tool of I want to just be able to guide someone or myself right into a practice so that I can upregulate, downregulate, balance my nervous system, feel more empowered for my day. And that's your go to. Yes, that's beautiful because it's like so it's accessible on multiple levels. I mean, one is you don't have to go to a yoga class. You don't have to find a yoga class online. You don't have to be a yoga teacher or someone who really practices yoga regularly to be able to incorporate these practices through the flip chart. And the other thing is for me, like, I'll read a book, but as a therapist, it's very uncomfortable to like go, okay, well, so like, can you see this page? Like, This is what they're doing. And when you have a flip chart, it's a great way for the person that you're working with, or if it's just for yourself, to be able to visualize what we're talking about. And it's like, you know, physically accessible to just be able to hold it up even on a video session or to prop it up because it's got the little thing to make it stand. Yeah. Yes, it does. 
because I have one standing behind me. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and I think that the that that for me the 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 practices that I intentionally chose for the flip chart were the ones that can very easily and I want to say seamlessly be integrated right into a therapy session. So most of them are chair based. There's a few that are, that that invite the opportunity to stand up. Obviously, a lot of them are connected around breath. It speaks about the trauma informed mindfulness and how do we integrate that into psychotherapy safely. And as you said, you do not have to be a yoga teacher to integrate these simple practices into your work with others. It's a beautiful resource, like so many, like all of the things that you do and offer. And I'm so deeply grateful for you, for you bringing your time to come here to what you taught today. And where can people find all of your stuff, all of the many things that you do? Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, the hub for the, the connection to most of it is my website, which is just simply drarielschwartz.com, drarielschwartz.com. On there, you'll find my blog, you'll find a listing of all of my books and resources. And if you go under the tab that says therapeutic yoga, it will guide you to, to you know, it'll, it'll have a connection to the YouTube channel, which has all of the previously recorded classes. There's a hundred over yeah, 150, I think, at this point. And then there's also a link to register for a live class if that's something that you would like to do. Yes, beautiful. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today and for everything you do and share. It's been wonderful talking with you again. Yes, yes. And, and it feels just deeply nourishing for my nervous system to spend this time with you. Thank you. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.